The sermon lesson is from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul Chi. I'm a, I live in Atlanta, um, right outside of Atlanta on the north side, and uh, moved to Atlanta about three years ago, just a little bit about myself. Before that, I was pastoring a church up in Madison, Wisconsin. I know that's a long way from here and a lot colder, but uh, I was pastoring there, a church that I planted. Uh, in 2008, we planted that church, and then in 2020, God called me and my family to move down to work in the PCA main offices uh, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, so we made the big transition. Um, it's really exciting to be here. I'm thankful for this opportunity. This is actually my third time being here. I know many of you may have never seen me before because I'm often invited on those holiday weekends when no one is here, and so that's when I've mostly been here, but I've been here third time now, and so I'm so thankful. Um, Seeing a church like this is exciting, even hearing about a building uh, project. Um, you know, our church in Madison in 2008, uh, we planted with just my wife and I. Uh, my wife and I, at the time, she was pregnant with our first child, so we knew that in the first year we would have 50% church growth, right? <laughs> so we knew that, and uh, we started off with a bank account of $100, which came out of my wallet when I went to the bank to open an account. And uh, that's how we started, but after 12 years, God richly blessed us and did great things, and I see that happening here as well. And so I'm really thankful, and I can say all of you are privileged to be part of this together. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, let, me, um, let me begin by saying um, this is a passage, as we think about the Lord's Prayer, and we think about this idea of Give us this day our daily bread. Now, food, you know, bread, food is, is a necessity. We need to eat because it sustains us, but we need to eat because it also satisfies us as well. Now, we're going to take that idea of give us this daily bread, and we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 6 that was read for us because I think it provides a great illustration of something that's being taught to us here that God wants us to learn, especially as we go through the phases of our life, as we go through the phases of a, a church that's growing as well. And we're going to look at John chapter 6 and learn some lessons that God has in store for us today. But I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here at Resurrection. Thank you for every brother and sister in this room. And just for the incredible things that you are doing here, thank you for Pastor Jared and for the ways that you're using him to lead this congregation. As we look at this passage today, God, we know that we need you, but we also know that there are many around us who need you, who are hungry for the bread that you give to us. Father, we pray that every single one of us in this room would be fed and nourished today through the Word of God. And may not a single one of us be able to leave this place without 
you doing something, impressing upon our hearts, convicting us in some way of how you are this bread in our life, but you also want us to give this bread to others. Pray that you'd bless this time, use this unworthy preacher to speak your word this morning. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a great Italian violinist named Niccolo Paganina. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. The story goes, he lived from 1782 to 1840. The story goes that he willed his fine instrument, his violin, to his hometown, to a museum. This bequest came with one condition. The violin that he became famous for was never, ever to be played again. It would simply be placed on display inside of this museum, but never to be touched, never to be played. Now, the problem is here that a violin, a finely crafted instrument like this, needs to be played. It needs to be handled regularly for its beauty and for its value to be retained. So this beautiful, this marvelous violin has simply wasted away as a decaying relic inside the walls of this museum. When we look at this incredible passage here where Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000, in those days, men were only counted, so a more accurate number might be more like 15 to 20,000 people with women and children. This passage, this miracle is one that Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do according to verse 6. And I think what we see here, we're going to learn some lessons that Jesus is showing us how he wants us to be used by him like an instrument. Through this miracle, he's going to provide the people in this story, their hungry stomachs, with the daily bread that they need to live on. Jesus is the giver of bread for our hungry stomachs, but we also know that Jesus gives himself as bread for our hungry hearts. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to learn some lessons. Jesus wants us to receive bread, but he wants us to give bread. Jesus, of course, in the story, is capable of causing bread to fall from the sky. There's a crowd of hungry people. He could snap his fingers and bread would be provided. But what does he do? He turns to Philip. He uses Philip. He turns to Andrew. He uses Andrew. He turns to a little boy. A little boy is used. He does extraordinary things through very ordinary people in this passage. So today, as we pray, give us this day your daily bread, how can we become givers of bread to others? There are people around us who are physically hungry, but even more so, there are people around us who are spiritually hungry. And so we're going to learn some lessons through this passage. So as you look in your notes there, there's four things that we're going to look at. We're going to first look at Philip. Then we're going to look at Andrew, we're going to look at the boy, and then we're going to look at the crowd. So we'll look at these four things as we flow through this passage. And we're learning how God wants to use us to give this bread to others. So first, let's look at Philip. 
I think the lesson that we learned from Philip is that we need to calculate with Jesus. Calculate with Jesus. Look at verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, why does Jesus ask this specific question to Philip? I think in many ways, Philip would be the natural choice because this was his hometown. He knew the place. This was the area that he had grown up with, he was familiar with, he knew where to go. But in verse 6, it tells us that Jesus, again, already had in mind what he would do. So this is not a question where Jesus is actually wondering, but this is a question that is a test for Philip. Philip calculates that it would take 200 denarii. 200 denarii is about eight months' worth of wages to buy enough bread to feed all of these people, maybe fifteen to 20,000 people. Did you hear that? Eight months of wages. That's two-thirds of your gross income. I think Philip is basically saying, Jesus, even if there's an, a place to buy bread, we can't afford it. Even if we could afford it, we could only buy them a little nibble at most. What are you talking about here? And it's interesting that Jesus is asking a where question, but Philip responds with a financial calculation. You see, Philip had knowledge. Knowledge is great. Calculations are good, but the problem is not that he calculated. Philip's problem is that he calculated without Jesus as part of his equation. We have to ask ourselves. We, of course, need to plan. We, of course, need to be careful and think through things in our life. But is Jesus part of your planning? Is Jesus part of your equation? As you were, as I was hearing about, you know, buying a building and those kinds of things, it just really excited me. I remember in the 12 years while I was in Madison, Wisconsin, during our church plant, you know, our, our budget, you know, we, we went from, you know, a small budget. And in the early years, you know, there's a part of me that's a, a business background, accounting major. So in the early years, you know, I'm, I'm looking through our budget numbers. And as we plan for the next year's budget, I'm just thinking, gosh, we can't raise the budget. We can't do more because the numbers aren't there. But I remember, thankfully, there were some guys around me who had a lot more faith than I did. And they would encourage me, and they would push me to say, you know what, we can raise our budget like this. We can plan for these things, not because the offering numbers are there, because God's going to provide. And in 12 years of every year raising our budget a significant amount, God provided every year. Even though the numbers were not there on paper, somehow at the end of the year, the following year, we always came out ahead. We always had more reserves, and God abundantly provided. And sometimes we need to think through things, and we need to plan for things with Jesus 
as part of that calculation. Jesus was presenting Philip with a need that was impossible to fulfill through human means. Yet Philip was only able to calculate what he could punch out on his calculator, only through human means. Jesus later teaches in John 15 that apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that so true? And we need to include Jesus in everything. We need to depend upon him. We need to pray. We need to calculate everything with Jesus in mind. I think about David and Goliath, a story that we all know. Saul, he saw the Philistine army with Goliath standing in front. Saul calculated and saw an impossible situation. There's no way that we can defeat that army. But when David saw... David calculated things with God factored into the equation. Saul saw a giant problem, but David saw a giant God. And we need to see that way. So first, as we think about Philip, we need to calculate with Jesus in mind. Now secondly, we're going to look at Andrew. I believe from Andrew, we learn that we can connect people to Jesus. If we look at verse 8, it says, One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But, but what are they for so many? Now, when you look at this at first, it seems like Andrew has great faith. I'm like, Andrew, you, you, you are believing here. He brings this boy with this little lunch now, this was a humble little lunch because barley was considered bread for the poor. Okay, you only ate barley if you were poor. So think of a little lunchable made with just barley bread and sardines. It doesn't sound very appetizing, but that's what it was, a lunchable. Andrew is looking good here, doesn't he? Because he's, he's bringing this boy and says, we can do this with this little lunchable. Now, if he stopped there, he would go down in the hall of faith. But unfortunately, Andrew, just like we often do, he keeps talking, right? He keeps talking, and then his lack of faith is revealed when he says, but how far can they go among so many? Andrew lacks faith, of course, but guess what? He's used by God, just like we can be, because what does he do here? He connects people to Jesus. Andrew was one, when you look back in John chapter 1, Andrew was the one who connected his brother, Simon, think of Simon Peter, Andrew connected his brother to Jesus. That was a significant connection. Here, Andrew continues by connecting this little boy with this humble lunch to Jesus. And this little boy gets to experience one of the greatest miracles in all of history. What an impact on the life of this little boy because of his connection. You know, sometimes when we talk to people, when we encounter people at our jobs, our classrooms, our workplaces, our family members, sometimes we don't have all the answers. Sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. But one of the most important things that we can do is connect people to Jesus. 
We can connect them to our church community. We can connect them to a small group that we're a part of. We can connect them to another brother or sister or a pastor. We can connect them, and there can be an impact made. Consider the connections here. Peter, he was connected by Andrew. Peter became the rock. Peter became the rock. Jesus says, you are the rock. I'll build my... Peter becomes the rock because Andrew connected him to Jesus. This little boy was connected. This little boy's life was changed. He was probably never the same again. And so can I ask you this morning, as you think about tomorrow morning, who are some people that you need to connect to Jesus? Maybe that person in your office. Maybe that person down the street. You may not have all the answers. It's okay. But sometimes just being that person that connects someone to Jesus can be incredibly powerful in a way that God wants to use you. So we learn from Philip, calculate with Jesus. We learn from Andrew, connect people to Jesus. Now we will learn from this boy. From the boy, what we learn is commit everything to Jesus. Look at verse 9, simple verse here. There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. This boy, eating barley bread, remember bread for the poor, has nothing to offer. But he is willing to let Jesus have his lunch even though he'll be hungry for the whole day. And many times in cultures like this, they only eat one meal a day. He doesn't offer half of his lunch, but he lets his whole lunch be committed, everything to Jesus. He may not even know what he's doing here, but he's willing to commit everything. And when I think and meditate upon this, I realize, you know, Jesus never wants more than what we can give. He's never asking us for more than what we can give. He just wants all of ourselves to be committed to him. You know, we can mistakenly think that God needs us. We can think that God needed this little boy's lunch. God doesn't need any one of us, but God gives us the privilege to be used by him. Uh, when we give, and giving is sometimes hard. <clears throat> when we give, give of ourselves in different ways, many times we think we're losing, right? <clears throat> we think we're, we're giving and we're losing of ourselves. But when we give, it is, it is never lost like we might think. But we need to change our paradigms to think when we give, it is actually gain. You know, we tend to limit what we give because we think we're losing, but God's economy is one where you give and you're gaining. It doesn't make sense, but you give and you gain. I think of it like this. Um, imagine you're the son of someone incredibly rich, you know, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, someone like that. If you're the son of Elon Musk, you can spend and use money every day in every way that you want, 
And it almost seems like your wealth would never run out. But actually, eventually, your wealth could possibly run out if you spend and use every day like crazy. But in God's economy, it's different. God never runs out. He wants to pour out every spiritual blessing upon us. And so when we give, we gain. The world thinks you give and you're going to lose out. But God's way is you give and you get more. This little boy, he had a brown bag lunch with just this little bit of barley. But when he committed everything to Jesus, it returned baskets filled with overflowing bread. There was more there. It began with a lunchable, but it became baskets full of overflowing bread. He gave his lunch, but ended up feasting with everyone else. Giving is really hard. Myself these days, uh, my kids, my son is 14. My daughter's about to turn 12. My son plays baseball. My My daughter plays volleyball. And these days, I just feel like in every way, just everything, everything, everything is just money going out the door, right? Yesterday, went to Dick's Sporting Goods and bought baseball shoes, and last week had to buy volleyball stuff. Money is just going out the door. And sometimes, as I think about giving in my own life, it's challenging. But I have to remember that it's a privilege I have, whether it's my time, my talent, my treasure, whatever it is, it's a privilege. And as I give, I actually gain. I give and I gain. I give and I gain. And I'm constantly trying to remind myself of that. Can I ask you, are there still areas in your life that you've held back from Jesus? Are there still areas in your life where you need to commit everything to Jesus? So finally, we learn from Philip, we learn from Andrew, we learn from the boy. Finally, we'll learn from Jesus as we see the crowds. As we look at the crowd, I believe the lesson here is we need to be compassionate like Jesus. In this passage, Jesus sees the hungry crowd. And what does his heart want to do? His heart wants to feed them. We see him here providing food and feeding their stomachs with bread. It is that, but it is so much more. Jesus is compassionate for the crowd's physical hunger, but I believe as we look at this passage, as we know Jesus, he is even more compassionate for their spiritual hunger. Now, John, the author of this book, he writes this book, when you look carefully, with some intentional references that point us back to the Old Testament. If you look at verse 4, not going to dig too deep into it, but verse 4 mentions that it was the Jewish Passover feast. In the Passover, Moses, of course, brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses led a great crowd of Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness. And verse 14 says the word prophet. The prophet is mentioned in Deuteronomy 18 where Moses, after coming down from the mountain, speaks to the people saying that he is their prophet, but there will be a prophet who will come. And Moses, of course, was referring 
the Jesus that was to come. Now let's think about Moses and Jesus who was to come. Moses fed manna from heaven. Jesus fed them bread from his own hands because he's the prophet who has come from heaven. Jesus here is not saying, hey guys, I am just like Moses. He's not saying that. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Moses. I am the one who has come to care for you, to lead you, and to feed you. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. So Jesus here feeds them physically because he's compassionate for them spiritually. Just again, think about Moses and Jesus. Moses, manna from heaven. Jesus, bread from his hands. Moses is the prophet. Jesus is the true prophet. Moses can only say, I am Moses. Jesus is saying, I'm greater than Moses. Moses fed them physically, but Jesus feeds them spiritually. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life who has come down from heaven. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus here, he sees the crowd and he has compassion. He has compassion for their souls because he sees not only the physical hunger of their stomachs, but he sees the spiritual hunger of their hearts. And I want to encourage us this morning, as we think about this passage, you know, we look at Philip, are you calculating with Jesus in mind? We look at Andrew, are you connecting people to Jesus? We look at the boy, are you committing everything you can to Jesus? Because you're going to gain. As we look at the crowd, are we compassionate like Jesus? Brothers and sisters, are you eating well these days? Brothers and sisters, are you feeding others these days? He is the bread that feeds us, gives us life, and sustains us. We need to keep eating from him. You know, these days in our world, many people, it seems like many people, you look around, and many people are angry, you know? And we have a joke in my house, because my, my children and my wife know this about me, is they know that if I haven't eaten in a while, that I'm hungry, they know that that's not good. And when I'm hungry, what happens is I'm angry. And they say, Dad, are you hangry? Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you hangry? They ask me that all the time. And so whenever my kids want something, they make sure that I'm well-fed before they ask me for something. You know, I look around these days, and it just seems like we live in a world where people are angry. You ever feel that? Polarized, upset about something, just always on edge. Many people around us in our offices, in our neighborhoods, they are angry. But you know why that is? It's because they're hungry. 
They're spiritually hungry for the bread of life. They're hangry. And so we have an opportunity as a church, as a family, as individuals. We have an opportunity because we are the ones who are eating the bread of life given to us. We also have an opportunity to be the ones that feed others. And Jesus wants to use us in this way. And I pray that this church, this wonderful church, would be a church that is not just creating a place where we are feeding ourselves and getting fat Sunday after Sunday, but we'd be a church where we are feeding others because there are many hangry people around us who need the bread of life. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask us before I close in prayer just to take about 20 to 30 seconds just reflecting on these words. And perhaps you could think to yourself about one person, one person in your life, one person in your neighborhood, in your workplace, around you, a relative, someone, who you know that they are hungry spiritually. There are people who are hungry physically around us, but everyone is hungry spiritually around us. And perhaps you can think of one person, maybe this week, maybe this month, as you calculate with Jesus in mind, as you connect people to Jesus, as you commit everything to Jesus and have compassion for that person you're thinking of, maybe God wants to use you. God wants to use you to be his hands to feed them the bread of life. Maybe pray for that person. Pray for yourself, saying, Lord, use me. Use me to feed others. Just take a few seconds like that, and then I'll close us with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the bread of life, Jesus, who has come. Jesus, thank you that you have given yourself to us. And even as we partake in the Lord's table, help us to remember that as the bread is broken, God, you have given yourself to us to feed our hungry hearts. You are the one that sustains us. You nourish us. You satisfy us. But God, as we partake in these things, remind us also that there are so many people around us, so many people right around us who are hungry, hungry and looking and searching for what will satisfy, but it's not found in this world, but it's only found in you. And help us to be the ones that would connect them to you so that they would know the satisfaction, the sustenance that comes through knowing you. May we be your hands to others this week. May we be the ones that could feed many others and lead them to this place to become worshipers of you. We thank you and we praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.